Hello wrestling fans and welcome to the latest edition of Live from the Dean's Den. I am your host, the Dean of Wrestling Referee, Steve Kane. Now, before we start the actual program, which will be the conclusion of the interview with uh, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, uh, I do want to acknowledge the mm -hmm. passing of one of the legends of uh, wrestling, Eddie Marlin, patriarch of the uh, Marlin and Jarrett families who uh, passed away just this last week after a long illness. A lot of stars of uh, many, many years, uh, the 60s, 70s, and uh, even the 80s, uh, came through the Marlin Jarrett system at some point in their careers. Uh, now, stay tuned after. Uh, the uh, interview segment is over for an announcement concerning the next edition of Live from the Dean's Den, and we will be right back right after this. Have you got an idea for your own podcast just like this one? Well, join us at Anchor, because Anchor is the easiest way to make your very own podcast. It gives you all the tools that you need in one place for free. You can record right from your phone, tablet, or computer. And with the creation tools Anchor gives you, it allows you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds top of the line. And they'll even do the distribution for you so it can be heard on outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And then you can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership required. So what are you waiting for? soon as you're done listening to this show, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it today. What some of these guys actually had done in real life. Um, I, guess, I guess at one point uh, uh, Tony Anthony had been a plumber and so the you know, former dirty white boy became T.L. Hopper in that. But uh, you had done you had done uh, apparently at at some at some point you had done a gimmick called Garbage Man. Now, um, so how so how did this all you know translate turning oh uh, Mike Rosey and um, Garbage Man into Duke the Dumpster Drozzy? Well, I I knew at that point, you know, when I was still kind of wrestling part-time in Florida and finishing college, you know, mm -hmm. I was watching the World Wrestling Federation. I was watching the product, and I could see the characters they were putting on TV and what Vince was basically trying to sell. And down in Florida, I had come up with the character, the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar. And that was my name in Florida, the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. And I wrestled for months and months, maybe even like a year, I wrestled. And that whole time, I was wearing the same exact gimmick that Duke the Dumpster wore. And I taped everything I did so that I could eventually put together that promo tape. Um, okay. But, yeah, then it was like a natural. That, that's one of the things I think Vince – one of the reasons Vince McMahon jumped on it because it was one of those cartoonish characters that was like a blue collar worker that the people could get behind. And it just kind of 
fell right into the scheme of things, the way they were doing it in the World Wrestling Federation at that time. So he mm-hmm. jumped on it. And when they brought me in, funny thing, uh, I went around town taping my, what they called vignettes. You know, this is Duke right. Dumpster. I'm coming soon to the World Wrestling Federation. And I taped a lot of them off the back of a garbage truck or at the dump in Stanford, Connecticut. And the interesting thing about that is the person who produced my vignettes, who I rode around in his Corvette with that morning at 6 a.m. in the freezing cold, was Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon oh produced – he was – he was like 23 years old at the time. He was working his way around all the different parts of the company, you know, getting to uh-huh. know how to do everything. And at that point, he was working in the studio. So he produced all my vignettes and stuff. All, a lot of that stuff you saw, he came up with. And when I sat down with him at the office and we were talking about it, he said they had come up with a new name for me because obviously for licensing purposes and, you know, intellectual property, they want to be able to own that part of the character. So they named right. me Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and Drosy is my real last name. For the, right. for the sake of alliteration, it, it became Duke the Dumpster Drosy. And that Shane McMahon was the, told me, the one that told me that was my new name. And the gimmick basically stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So now, okay, so now that was, that leads me to another question because um uh I I've know I've known uh, I've known Dustin Rhodes for uh several years and he talked about um uh, when they did the gold dust vignettes, especially the ones at the Oscars, because at that time, um of course, you know, Nobody, nobody really knew who Vince McMahon and the WWF were, and that. So they kind of had to sneak in, uh, with the security guards not looking, so they could do all the red carpet stuff and that. Did you guys have to sneak onto the, onto the trucks and into the dump to uh, get uh, to get your segments filmed? Actually, what we did, it was interesting because I, I, I don't know. I guess Shane set it up because we went out on the streets of Stanford, Connecticut, and just caught a garbage truck that was right in the middle of its regular uh, route. And every so often it would stop, and I'd jump up on the back, and we would pull it forward or pull it back, and I'd jump off, and I'd cut my promo. And then we'd let them go do a couple more blocks, and we'd meet them two or three blocks over, and we'd do another promo, and that's how we did that. And then, of course, we went to the dump, and I just climbed up in this huge heap of trash and and cut promos up there. But that's how we did it. I mean, I'm pretty sure Shane set it up. We didn't just show up on the street one day and ask these guys to let us use the truck. They were more than willing, uh, so I'm pretty sure it was set up. But that's how we did it. (laughs) That's interesting. Wow. That's very interesting. That is. Um you 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 miss how you miss Sean how he how he got his how he got himself himself uh, signed here. Um, so but I go ahead go ahead if you don't mind relay that one real real quick again so that Sean can kind of get uh, caught up on that because well, just I, that's that's that yeah that that story that story right there is so cool in and of itself. Sorry. When I was when I was uh, trying to break into the business, 
uh, I was wor- I was finishing college and I knew I didn't have any friends or relatives in the business, so I had to find a creative way to get in the front door. And what I had done is there was actually a television executive convention in Miami Beach at the convention center, and um, a friend uh, from where I worked who was a member at this, this beach club I was working at was a TV executive, and he had credentials, and he let me borrow them so I could just walk right into the convention and I walked right in wearing a suit with a little briefcase, walked right up to Vince McMahon and introduced myself, shook his hand. He saw the credentials. I think he thought I was an executive at first. So he was really happy to talk to me. And then he realized, okay, I was a wrestler and I was pitching him, but he was still (laughs) real nice to me. And I pitched him for about 30 or 45 seconds, told him who I was. I wanted to work for him and asked him, to take my promotional package, which he was happy to take. And um, he asked me a couple of questions and that was it. I got the hell out of there. And the funny thing about it is also when I was leaving uh, right across the walkway was the booth for WCW. Oh. I didn't stop at WCW. I just kept walking because I had a feeling mm. he was probably going to watch to see if I went to WCW to uh-huh. pitch them, and I didn't. I just kept going, and I walked out the door. And anyway, they, Vince had J.J. Uh, uh, Dillon. About a week later, J.J. Dillon called me to bring me up for a tryout because J.J. was the head of talent relations at that time. So, yeah, that's right. kind of how I got my foot in the door. Now, uh, <laughs> you, started, you started in 94, uh, and one of your first feuds you would have with a guy that's uh, pretty famous around the Memphis, Tennessee area, guy by the name of Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah, I just remember I was I had just come in, and uh, I didn't really know how things worked. And I was riding in a rental car at that TV taping with Adam Baum and Bob Holly, And oh. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going to happen. And we just kind of walked in and got ready for TV. And they kind of explained to me what was going on at the last second. And it was that deal where I walked out for my first match, my first TV match against a guy named Mike Bell. And as I was walking out, Jerry the King Lawler was standing off to the side with a microphone like he wanted to interview me. And as I passed by, I stopped to talk to Jerry the King Lawler. He said, hold on, hold on. And he turned around and he got a clothespin and stuck it on his nose because I stunk too bad for him to interview me. So he insulted me by putting a clothespin (laughs) on his nose. So I took my garbage can full of garbage and I dumped it over his head. And (laughs) that's what started the feud. And then a couple, I think probably a week later, they had on live raw, they did a King's court and Jerry, the King Lawler brought me out as his guest and he would not let me get in the ring and he would not let me talk. And I finally got fed up with him and, uh, I told him I didn't want to talk to a stinking piece of trash like him anyway, and I turned to walk away, and on live television, he ran up behind me and attacked me and hit me with my own garbage can. Now, the funny thing about that was me and Lawler beforehand talked about it, and he he kind of brought it up. He goes, you know, we could kind of fire this up a little bit if, if I hit you with the can or something when I attack you. And I said, that's fine with me. I'll do it. So we basically went and just asked Jack Lanza, who was the agent for that segment 
And uh-huh. Jack Lanza just kind of Jack Lanza just kind of looked at me and he goes, "To hell with it! It's live TV. Just go ahead and do it." So we went out there and we did it. And uh, I just remember when I got back to the to the lock to the back gorilla position, everybody was freaking out. Uh, Shane McMahon ran up. He goes, "What the hell happened?" And uh, the agents were all scurrying around and people were like pissed off and. Uh, apparently it was deemed too violent for WWF television at that uh, time. That's what I'm reading here. It was one of the first instances of hardcore wrestling on WWF Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. And it was so hardcore, in fact, that they immediately, at that time, Gorilla Monsoon and the Macho Man Randy Savage were doing the commentary for Raw at that time. And they came right out on live TV right after that segment. They came on, and and Gorilla Monsoon just apologized up and down. He's like, we are so sorry that that happened. You will never see something that violent happen on the WWF again. Once again, we apologize. And they apologized up and down. And uh, that wasn't bad enough. The next week, they had Jerry the King Lawler come out on Superstars uh, on a pre-taped interview where he was made to apologize to me for attacking oh, wow. me. And I, and I was like, you just totally killed all the heat. It was, <laughs> right. they, they threw a bucket of ice water on it. It was dead. And from that point on, it just went downhill. And what should have been a really hot match for a, for a pay-per-view ended mm-hmm. up, we did the blow-off on like a Monday Night Raw where I had Dink the Clown in the garbage can and Doink and Dink were outside the ring and they, they – basically got into it and interfered and they they got in a fight with Jerry the King Lawler and he went off on a feud with them after that and that was the end of Duke the Dumpster versus Jerry the King Lawler. Um now you're you're wow. wrestling in about nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five, and this is right around the time that this very controversial man by the name of James E. Cornette started with the company. Uh talk to us about uh Corny and your interactions Corny with Cornette. Cornette. Yeah, I was like Jim Cornette, and uh, I just I love listening to his podcast now. I'll tell you that. Um, but Cornette was you could tell he he loved old school, the old school mentality. And there was a lot of things. The wrestling business during those years was changing, and, and you could see a lot in a lot of ways. It bothered Jim Cornette. He didn't like some of the ways that they did things up there in the World Wrestling Federation. Um, it was just different philosophies, um, but but Jim was always very professional. Cornette was wo- always very professional. Um, you know, he always protected his guys. I remember I wrestled Vader on a, a Monday Night Raw match, and we were trying to put together the match. And you know, Vader, d- Jim Cornette, basically didn't want me to body slam Vader, and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Of course I can slam Vader." Well, you know, they wanted him to stay real strong. And, uh, right. So, yeah, they didn't want me to slam it. I always found that very interesting. But, you know, Cornette was just protecting the guy that he was a manager for because that kept his position strong. If he keeps his wrestler strong, that keeps his position as a manager strong. So that makes sense. But, yeah, that was mm-hmm. – but but uh, I always respected Cornette, and, and I still, like I said, I love listening to him now, man. And he goes off. Oh, yeah. Whether I agree oh, with him or I don't agree with him, it's – it's always entertaining. It is. And and I tell you <laughs> what, that man, uh, we had him on this 
show a couple oh, of years ago. We did a roast of his friend Kenny Bolin, and uh, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever had so many f bombs in one program. Between him and Kenny <laughs> Bolin, it was probably the f word was probably dropped a thousand times. I mean, I thought I said the f word a lot. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Duke. Uh, just because the question has arose from our fans, what uh, what made you never pursue going to WCW after your time in WWF? I actually did, and and not many people know this, but there is a a dark match floating out around there on in the internet world somewhere. Matter of fact, I, I have a copy of it on my Facebook page. Somebody found. See, I told a story about this, and somebody actually found the match. I wrestled in a dark match. And I was wearing a singlet, and it was a tryout. But the thing about WCW was after I left the World Wrestling Federation, I had like eight months left on my contract, and uh, I just waited it out. And when it was done, I I did kind of the same thing I did with Vince McMahon. Uh, I was living up in Orlando at that time, and WCW was doing a Nitro in Tampa, and I put on a suit. And I walked my happy ass right in the back door <laughs> into the locker room like I was wrestling on that show, and nobody nobody questioned me. I mean, I just walked right in. And it's funny. I've told this story before. It's interesting. The psychology of the backstage area, this was the perfect example, because when I walked in wearing that suit, it was amazing. All the wrestlers that came up to me and shook my hand and were so happy to see me and were so fucking polite to me, and then, like, two days later, I came back because J.J. asked me to come back. I went back to a show that I think it was, like, Saturday night or Thunder they were doing in, like, Lakeland, Florida. And I showed up, and by that point, everybody realized that nobody had brought me in. I just showed up on my own. And it, it was amazing how the demeanor of a lot of the guys changed, and they weren't so nice to me all of a sudden. And, they, you know, they weren't running up, shaking my hand. Um, so I always found that to be interesting. Um, but, yeah, I just walked in and crashed the damn Nitro, just like I did the convention with Vince. And um, I talked to JJ, and they eventually brought me in for a tryout, and it was, it was freaking horrible. Um, I wrestled this guy that, Apparently was really green, and he screwed up a spot, and I immediately started pounding on him and kicking him. And oh. after that point, Arn Anderson called me Crowbar, and I realized I probably didn't have a good showing in that tryout match. So I never got hired there, and then I just kind of went off into oblivion. But, yeah, I actually had a tryout with WCW, very short-lived. Uh, yeah, I wrestled one match oh, wow. on a dark match at a Nitro, yes. Um, were you ever contacted oh, by Paul Heyman to go to ECW? No, never contacted by him. But, you know, it's funny. that At that point in the wrestling business, um, the boys really didn't respect what ECW was doing. Now, the fans were going crazy for it because it was this new hybrid of of professional wrestling with so much more realism to it and the hardcore aspect of it. But the boys mm-hmm. in those days didn't respect th- that way of wrestling, that style of wrestling, because we knew, you know, anybody that's been in a wrestling ring can tell you, if you watch that stuff in the early days from ECW, we knew they were killing each other and killing themselves. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. you're not going to have longevity. So I never really even considered going to, 
ECW. Um, and, of course, I, I started kind of going off the rails myself personally, so I really wasn't. After WCW fell through, and I actually went back for another WWF tryout. They made me try out again, but I, I wanted to go back, but they made me try out again, and that was a disaster. But um, after all that went down, I was pretty much done. I just went and buried my head in the sand and disappeared from the wrestling business for probably the next, well, until WrestleMania 17, but, and then I really disappeared. But, yeah, it was, that's kind of how that all went down. But, no, I never went to, tried to go to ECW. Mm. Um, there's a guy that you had a, we're in a stable with from ECW, uh, that, uh, Axel Rotten, when we had him on, was very high of, and that was the guy by the name of Hack Myers. Uh, yeah, I knew Hack Myers down in Florida. I just found out recently, I didn't even know that he had passed away. Um, but you know, another, yeah. one of those casualties of the wrestling business, but Hack was a great dude. I met him after he and I both were done. He was done with ECW, and I was done where I was wrestling, and we started working for – well, I went back to work for the same independent promotion that I worked for before I went to the WWF. I went back and re- started wrestling for them some, but that didn't even last very long. But that's where I met Hack Myers. Um, but I was so clueless about the business. I didn't know – I didn't even realize at that point he had been from uh, in ECW, and I had to go back and look at some of his tape and stuff like that. But, yeah – Hack Myers was a great dude, though. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we did a tribute show that night, and um, a, lot of the, a lot of the ECW guys that uh, we've gotten to know called in, and they were telling such great stories. And every, and every one of them, I mean, you know, not, a, not a bad word about about him between the bunch of them. They just all thought he was just, well, one of the greatest guys around in that. Um, and he uh, was. I agree with that. He was. Um, Duke, do you watch today's current product at all or no? Not much. Uh, I probably see, I see more about it on social media that I actually, well, I don't have like the WWE network or right. I don't even have television at this point. I don't have cable TV. Everything I watch is it's usually on the internet and it's usually replays on, yeah. on YouTube or something like that where they'll replay a match or something. But I do not kind of keep up with a lot of the wrestling business in real time. Uh, no, I don't. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's the thing. Some people step away from the business and there's an old saying that this business will eat you alive if you let it because it's an addiction. Um, but there, there are people like yourself that, that do find a way out of it and, and can dabble in it without completely going over head over heels in it again. And, um, you know, there's, yeah, there's I'm just been, having fun. You know what? I, I, I'm just having fun with it this time. I, I did get lost, man, for a long time, and it did eat me alive. And that is very true. And this business, it is an addiction. Um, people don't realize the power of walking out through those curtains every night and getting a response from a huge crowd of people. That is like a drug. And when it's all of a sudden snatched away in an instant, that is what pushes so many guys over the edge and they start doing all the drugs and things like that. And I was one of them, but um, I was very lucky. I survived. Uh, I, I saw 
I saw Rikishi at uh, WrestleCon not too long ago, and he just he he saw me and he goes, "Yeah, brother, we made it, man. We're still here. We made it." He just kept saying that, <laughs> and it's so true. Even though he never had any crazy problems, but his his point was, we've lost a lot of guys from this business, and um, in different yeah. ways, and. You know, if you've survived, if you went through any of the craziness like I did and you survived, you've got to consider yourself lucky. And I do. And because of that, what I'm doing nowadays, I don't take myself too seriously. I have fun with it. I'm enjoying interacting with the fans on social media. Um, it's fun now. I'm not caught up in trying to be rich and famous like I was the first time around. And I thought everybody owed me something. That's not, that's not how it is anymore. You know, I know that the fun I'm having with it now, it could be gone tomorrow. Eventually it will be gone and that's fine. I'm cool with that, but I am trying to have fun with it now. I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun doing shows like this, doing podcasts. I'm having fun seeing my old friends at conventions, the guys that I used to work with. So, yeah, I'm just trying to enjoy it these days. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you and Rikishi had that uh, conversation because um, after uh, after one of the uh, recent um, passings and that, um, you know, you talk about, you talk about uh, Greg – Gerard Oscar from uh, Men on a Mission, uh, who I happen we've we've had him on our show, and so I've gotten to become pretty good friends with him. In fact, I owe him a phone call. So, uh, guys, remind me I need to call him up uh, maybe sometime tomorrow just for the heck. But but um, we were texting each other uh, after after one of the after one of the guys passed away, and he 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 gave me he sent me this message and. It, and it's 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 haunted me to this day. He said, he said to me, "We're becoming an endangered species, brother." And it's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, there's a know, lot of truth to that. I'll have to agree. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of the guys that worked in those eras, whether it was the '80s and the '90s or into the 2000s, um. Before it became a publicly traded company with all these, you know, different, uh, I don't know, they, they've got the wellness plan now and they put guys through rehab and they they take all these steps to make sure nobody goes down that path anymore. But when we were there, and Austin says this too, it was the Wild West days and it was, man, it was in a lot of ways, it was like the Wild West. We were kind of on our own to figure a lot of this stuff out. Um, and there was a lot of self-medicating going on, whether it was drugs or alcohol or both. Um, we had to take care of our own bodies. There were no staff doctors in the locker room to take care of anybody. We would fix wow. each other's backs. And there was a lot of guys that are, a lot of wrestlers that I would say were, could have been great chiropractors because of the way they worked with, on each other, because uh, we had to. You know, it, it wasn't like it is now. You know, it wasn't this big billion-dollar entertainment conglomerate. It was a lot smaller in those days. <laughs> so uh-huh. we had to kind of figure Duke, a lot of this stuff out on our own. Duke, if you would, talk to us about the industry kind of falling on its ass in 1995 because you listen to Jim Cornette and go back and talk about the year 1995. And, brother, that was one of the most horrible times in the wrestling business until Nitro came onto the scene that Vince had seen since he'd taken over from his dad. 
Yeah, I mean, the wrestling business changed. It changed a lot, with, especially with the steroid scandal and the sex scandals that were going on uh, with a relation to certain people in the World Wrestling Federation. Um, I mean, a lot of that stuff got – I mean, Vince didn't get convicted in, in, in court or anything. And, but during that time, a lot of the fans were tur- turned off to the World Wrestling Federation product, and a lot of the big-name wrestlers started jumping ship, and they started going to WCW because they felt that Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation were not going to be able to bounce back from that. But there was a series of uh, probably three or four years that were really bad in there. We, they called it the New Generation era, <laughs> and it was bad. Um mm. You know, I've often talked about how bad the payoffs were. I actually got a check from a Canada check. As a matter of fact, one time that uh, because of the payoff, because of how low the payoff was and the fact that I took a draw that night, a cash draw, I got a check at home in the mail from the World Wrestling Federation for $1.99 Canadian. And I wish to this day, I wish to this day I had put that in a frame. But uh, that was how that was how that's how the payoffs were. I mean, you could take each night a two hundred dollar draw for road expenses in cash, and it got to a point where it was so bad in the World Wrestling Federation that guy guys knew looking at the houses in certain buildings when we were wrestling by the crowd if they should take their draw or not because if they didn't take their draw they wouldn't get any pay because that's how bad the payoffs were. Um, for quite a while. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a rough time, man. There was, just, you know, there was a not a lot of people making a lot of money during those years. Nope. Um, wow. Let's let's take this uh, interview back a little ways. Let's say that Duke the Dumpster Drosy had uh, walked into a Jim Crockett promotion in its time or in its prime, rather. What do you feel that you could have offered Jim Crockett promotions that they didn't have? A Jim Crockett promotion. So you're talking about before Ted Turner bought him out and all that. That's correct. That's correct. Um, You know, I I always considered myself a good, solid wrestler, and I could wrestle with anybody. Um, And I definitely always moved really well for a big guy. Um, So in terms of what they were missing, I, you know, I don't know. I was so young when Crockett Promotions was still in business. Um, I would have loved to just been able to break in there as a younger kid. I mean, you know, uh, right. I was probably 18, 19 years old when they were still in business. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, what could I have added that they didn't have? I don't know, man. They had a pretty solid roster, man. They had – they even had amateur wrestlers up and down the card. They had right. a lot of old school guys. They had all those NWA guys. So, you know, but yeah, I would I, I love to wrestle for them. I think I think there would have been a lot of interesting matchups that we would have seen um, with a lot of different colorful individuals, be it the, the jobber guys that WCW used a lot from back in Jim Crockett times that, you know, went on to be famous a couple of years later, like a Tom thing. Um, 
there there was just so I wouldn't, much. I, I definitely would not have been the garbage man or Duke the dumpster in Crockett Promotions. They didn't do no. any of that stuff, really. No, they did not, and and it would have been, you know, um, if I had to if I had to take a WCW version of you, I would have to say the WCW version of you would have been Bunkhouse Buck, because right. Buck was as nasty as they came, and. He he meant business. I'll still go back and watch some classic Bunkhouse Buck matches. Man, some of those are brutal. They're they're downright brutal. And yeah, and I think the dumpster was a brawler. He was a brawler with a with a a good set of power moves in the arsenal. Um, I had you know I stole a lot of stuff from from guys like Arn Anderson and and I stole uh, Road Warrior Animal's Power Slam. He had the best Power Slam in the business. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I just took a lot of I took a lot of power moves from some of the biggest names, and, and I put my own spin on it. But, yeah, I was a brawler slash power move guy, um, but I could come off the ropes, too. That was the thing. So, that was – and uh, I remember that. I'm only 28, but I, I was a 90s kid, so I remember Duke very fondly and – and and the garbage promos and and you just dominating whoever you were in the ring with. Now there was one person that we didn't get to see you face in the WWE that this would have been a very interesting matchup. Um, and, and and you didn't even have to do it as his main gimmick match, but you versus the Undertaker. Those you two big guys. You're both both over well over six foot, both well over three hundred pounds. Your build weight. That would have been entertaining. That would have been two gigantuans going at it. They didn't need Kane. They needed a guy like you to come in there and face the Undertaker before they even considered well, Kane. I would have had great matches and a great program with the Undertaker, but I will say this: uh, the mentality of the wrestling business at that time was still black and white, good versus evil, baby faces and heels, and we were both right. baby faces at that time. Um, so they kind of drew a very distinct line between baby faces and heels, and there wasn't much crossover like, like baby face versus baby face right. matches, or and they, they they kept it pretty separate at that time. So, you know, a large part of the time I was there, I mean, Taker was a baby face, and Duke the Dumpster was a baby face. Uh, right. There was one time they were talking about turning me heel, but it never came to fruition. They were going to make me a heel, but it just didn't happen. So. Talk to mm. us about that. What what would a Duke the Dumpster Drosy look like as a heel? Well, you think I was a brawler as a babyface? I would have been an even rougher <laughs> brawler as, as, a, as a heel. As a matter of fact, there's a match out there uh, in the internet world uh, where I kind of had a tryout as a heel. It was interesting that it was during that time when um, when Bill Watts came in to do some of the booking. And he wanted to see me wrestle as a heel. So what we did is they, they put me in a TV match with Marty Jannetty. And we started off as a babyface, babyface match. But he out-wrestled me, and I got frustrated, and I turned heel during the match. And the crowd reacted great. They booed me. They, <laughs> they booed the hell out of me. But they never ended up going any further with it. And then down the road, they were still talking about what they wanted to do. They had an idea is they wanted this is before Austin came in. They wanted to make me Ted DiBiase's protege. Um and they were going to turn me heel 
and join me with Ted DiBiase as my manager. And what they started doing, they actually started this, and there's there's tapes of this too. Um, I wrestled in a match versus Steve Dahl or Steve Dunn from Well Done at the time, and I beat him. And after the match, my garbage can got spilled and the garbage fell out, and there was a $100 bill in there. And that's how they were going to set up the angle. Slowly but surely, I was going to find money in the garbage, and Ted DiBiase was going to find ways to bribe me and bring me over to his corporation. And again, and they even did a big article in the magazine talking about, you know, me and my career and the way things were going, and I was getting frustrated. And at the very end of the article in the WWF magazine, there was a picture of me at a photo shoot, and I was standing there. They were taking my pictures, and I was in a suit, like a uh, business suit, and you could see oh, Ted DiBiase just peeking around the corner in the picture. So it was kind of leaving open, like, the possibility that Duke was going to sell out and, and, you know, become a heel. But, it never, again, it never happened. They just they just quit doing it. So um, that was me were, becoming a heel. You were, you were around during this time. Talk to us about the importance of the WWE magazine and how – how fans looked to that as, as the inside scoop as to what was going on behind the scenes in the WWF at the time. Because we don't have that these days. The w, well, and it, of course it was still WWF then, but the WWF magazine at that time, the editor was Vince Russo. And yeah. it was transitioning from a total kayfabe magazine where – the people writing for the magazine actually wrote the, the entire stories without actually talking to wrestlers. They came up with storylines of their own and they created quotes from wrestlers on their own. But what Russo started doing is he came up with these great ideas, but he would actually interview the wrestlers too and let them put their character behind it. And that's how he would create. So it started kind of, that transition into a more realistic kind of halfway shoot uh, interview process with the magazine. And that in large part is what made Vince McMahon bring Vince Russo into the creative team as a writer, because he, the way I heard it is he was sitting there. I think it was Pat Patterson and Cornette and, and, and uh, Bruce Pritchard and, he held up the magazine and he goes, "This is what I want in my on my shows." He slammed the magazine on the table and uh, Russo was in there, and that's the day that they he decided to bring Russo into the creative meetings. Um, so that was how it changed things when they finally took off the gloves during the Monday Night Wars and they started coming up with more ideas that were based on stuff that Russo came up with in his magazine. So that's how it changed it. Mm. Okay. Okay. Huh. Wow. That explains um, a lot of stuff right there. Duke, I want to ask you about somebody that uh, a lot of guys in the wrestling business, they get in and they make fun of him because he was, he was the biggest man that wrestling had seen in the, in the last probably two decades besides the Haystack Calhoun. But talk to us about the importance of Yokozuna. Uh, Yoko Zuno was a great dude. Rodney 
uh, he was a trip, man. And he he was very well respected. You know, he's one of them Samoans that, you know, any of them island people you don't mess with. But uh, Yokozuna, he was well respected with good reason because he had a good head for the business. He had great psychology. He was a great heel. And he even wrestled babyface a little bit for a while. And right. he moved like a freaking gazelle in the wrestling ring. He could move. The way he moved was amazing for his size. Um, yeah. It just told, at the end there, I just remember that he was getting so big. He was gaining so much weight, it started to affect his work. And the office wasn't looking as favorably on him anymore. And they started putting him in tag team with Owen Hart. And then they turned on him there. And then they turned him baby face and I just remember one time he had this match with uh, Vader on TV where Vader hurt him and injured his leg and they had to carry Yoko out on a damn forklift and he, I do remember that some time off and he was supposed to go lose weight that's when he was taking time off yeah. so they did the, the work the work injury so they could leave and take time off but apparently he wasn't very successful at losing weight and they ended up uh, cutting him loose after a while and Things got worse. He just got bigger and bigger. I just I remember thing about, and again I loved Rodney man. He was a great dude and he was a trip, and uh, it was always fun to be on the road with him. But I do remember one thing: I would never room with him because I've never heard you have never heard snoring until you've heard these Samoans snore. And Yoko used to have, and he used to have to sleep sitting up, man, because he was so big. You know, he had to sleep sitting up, and uh, man, he used to he would just fall asleep sitting right right there on his bed. We would all be hanging out in his room drinking beers or whatever, and he'd just be sitting there and he'd fall asleep. And man, it was the walls would shake (laughs) snoring. Oh my! But yeah, Rodney was a great dude, man. Yoko uh, was awesome. I I was a huge Yoko Zuna fan. And the thing about it is, you know, kids that didn't grow up in the 90s, you grew up in the 90s, and you saw him coming down to do the bonsai, coming off the ropes to do the bonsai, you were devastated. You're like, he's going to, yeah. that guy's going to be flat. Mm-hmm. And, and Yeah, was, I'm glad I never had to take that move, because I saw him <laughs> drop it on a couple, I saw him drop that bitch on a couple enhancement wrestlers, and oh my God. he didn't break his fall. He almost killed a couple guys. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> He would never hurt anybody on purpose, though. There was obviously a reason. If somebody pissed him off in the locker room or somebody shot their mouth off, then you were going to get hurt. And, uh, <laughs> because he was very good. He he, he didn't hurt anybody um, by accident. Let's put it that way. Uh, well, and Yoko was just, you know, you don't have that in today's wrestling. You have some of the you've got some bigger guys, but you don't have a guy Yokozuna's size going out there and doing no. what Yokozuna did. Because that and, and 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 there are so many guys that are gone from that era. I was just looking the other day, uh, and it was the anniversary of Crush's death. And I was like, Man it was like yeah, you go I saw back that. and I remember at, that too. You go back and look at some of that classic footage, and you're like, "Man, this guy, this guy had all the tools. What happened with him?" And uh, you know, Crush was another one that good, solid worker. That guy could go out there and work. And if you don't know what the term "worker" is, 
and you're listening to my podcast, you need to go get Jim Cornette's wrestling glossary that is coming out of the definition of the terms because I don't use the term lightly. I know what it means, and therefore that's why I use it. I did an appearance not too long ago in New York with, and, and on the appearance were Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who, oh, nice. I, you know, we worked together in the World Wrestling Federation during those years before they jumped to WCW. Right. But um, we were all sitting around talking, and Nash was talking about how they were looking at a wrestling card from 1996, the years we were there. Wow. And how probably 80% of the guys on that wrestling card were no longer with us. Wow. It was amazing. I mean, you know, guys like Owen Hart, Yokozuna, and a bunch of those guys. And uh, it was just amazing. And it's, it's so true. But, you know, over the years, we've lost a lot of guys. It was just the nature of the beast, uh, the well, way the business goes sometimes. And I've only yep. been in the business since 2002, but since 2002, in the 17 years that I've been in this business, there have been so many legends that, you know, you sit down and you write a bucket list when you start into wrestling and you're like, I want to meet him, or I, I, I want to sit down and pick his brain. And so many of the guys that were on that list were gone. Now, one of the coolest uh, things, you mentioned Vader earlier, I actually got to meet, meet Vader a couple of years ago on my birthday. And he was the coolest guy when he found out it was my birthday. Like, here's Vader, okay? He's been a star in Japan. He's been a star for WCW. He's been a star for Vince. Um, Travel the world around. And he took the time. He says, what's your name, kid? Told him my name. He signed me to a uh, personalized autograph picture. It's hanging on my wall. Happy birthday, Sean. Best wishes. And oh, I tell you oh. what. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Vader, one scary individual. He took off those gloves and started throwing or the mask or took off those gloves and started throwing those punches. Uh, look, I'll still go back and walk some of those. Those are some of the best work punches that I've ever seen, and most of them weren't work. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, you, you threw right. live rounds. That's, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real uh, life, it, the, the truth is, though, in real life, Vader – Leon was a big sweetheart, man. Yeah. Matter of fact, he I'll never forget this. He he could get his feelings hurt in the locker room, man, and he would almost be oh. in tears. Um I've seen him I remember when I wrestled him, I wrestled him on Monday Night Raw and this is the match where Cornet didn't want me to slam him and we got out there and he started hitting me in the head with them forearms, man. And you talk about oh. live rounds. He would throw them big, big old arms in the side of your head, and um, he threw me off, and I think I kicked him in the balls, and we Ouch. ended up doing a spot where I clotheslined him out, out over the top rope, and we both went out of the ring. Well, in the process, that mask started coming off, and he freaked out. He was like, please don't take off my mask. Please don't. I could not believe I was, this was Vader that I was listening to. He was worried yeah. about his mask coming off. He just freaked out. Uh, he thought I was going to try to rip off his mask or something. I said, no, nah, brother, you're a little worried. Just, that was an accident. But, yeah, Vader was a sweetheart, man. He he was Vader. a nice guy. And I will say that WWF probably ruined a large part of his career just okay. because Vince didn't use him the right way. And then a lot of the guys that he worked with didn't work 
well with him. Like the Shawn Michaels, everybody knows about that Shawn Michaels feud. I want you to talk about Michael. that, dude, because that uh, that was going to be my next topic of subject. Um, because a lot of people don't realize there there are uh, videos out there from Jim Cornette talking about Vader's time with WWF and how Shawn Michaels put a huge, huge nail in the coffin of Vader's career. Yeah, they were doing a, they were working a program together and, um, you know, Shawn Michaels didn't like because Leon, Leon did work stiff. I mean, he was, he, he was snug to say the least in the wrestling ring and Shawn didn't like it. And because of that, Shawn, didn't want to work with him anymore. And in a lot of ways, he went out of his way to make him look really bad. And, you know, Vader was in this position where he couldn't do anything about it because Sean was like the golden child at the time. And he couldn't really say anything about it because Sean was like this protected species with the office. That's what I called him, at least. You couldn't mm-hmm. mess with him. And uh, so Vader was stuck, you know, whereas... If, if somebody pulled that shit in, on Vader in WCW or Japan, he'd just beat the shit out of him. But he couldn't do that because he was kind of trying to play the politics the right way, and he didn't want to get himself into trouble for beating the hell out of Shawn Michaels. And Shawn took advantage and made, made him look stupid in a lot of ways. And that, uh, that, yeah, that, that thing didn't end up lasting. That SummerSlam match that, he had, that Shawn had with Vader – you go back and you can literally point out the spots where Sean decided that he wasn't going to work well with Vader anymore in that match. And one of them was, uh, uh, yes, that was the other thing. And and folks, if you have not heard Jim Cornette talk about this, search Jim Cornette Vader on YouTube and go and listen to it because I'm telling you what, I was literally almost in tears hearing about how they ruined Vader's career because Vader, to me, as a 90s kid, you know, one of the first pay-per-views I saw other than a WrestleMania was Super Brawl, and it was Vader against Sting. And you talk about a a guy that just, you know, you look at him and you're like, I don't ever want to meet that guy because that guy's scary. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a kid, so I'm going to think that. But I remember even growing up as an adult going, man, I ever crossed paths with Vader. That's one. That's one guy I don't want to be on the bad side of. Um, well, you know, that was Vader's it, career for a long time. If you think about it, he was this big bad heel that beat the hell out of anybody he wanted to beat the hell out of, and he had this reputation. See, the wrestling business is and was never filled with true life tough guys, and. A guy like Vader comes through, and he was just kind of beating people up in Japan, and he was beating people around in WCW, and he had this reputation that, just like you're saying, you didn't want to mess with him, until one day he came across somebody that was tougher in the back, and that was Paul Orndorff. And Paul Orndorff beat the hell out of him. And from that day forward, it changed Leon's standing with the boys, in my opinion, because people realize, okay, maybe this guy really isn't tough. So from a political point of view in the wrestling business and backstage, people realized they could get away f- with more with Vader. Um, they could make more political moves against Vader, and nothing would happen. So, And, and I think the day Paul Orndorff and him had that fight changed the course of his career forever. <laughs> 
Um, wow. That's 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 really sad because I met Vader, great individual. Um, I got yeah, to see him wrestle that. Got to see him wrestle that night and do the, the the Vader bomb and the Vader salt and all of that. It was just amazing. Um, sat front row for it at a, at a decent price point. They charged ten dollars to come in and watch Vader wrestle, and then another ten uh, ten or twenty dollars to get a picture and autograph with him. And you know, there's not a lot of guys that I say that I've met that have been that humble. Another guy I don't know if you ever crossed paths with that has uh, always been that humble to me and always been humble when he's come on the program is Jerry Lynn. And that's a guy that had all the talent in the world and Vince couldn't see him. Because that guy, wow. <laughs> yeah, that guy could, a worker. I never met him, and I've never met him in real life, but I watched him on TV back in those days. and Yeah, he was one of the best guys to come out of ECW. Um, but again, he came out of ECW and then he was misused in other companies. Right. Um, yeah. They they could have done a lot more with him, but they they just he didn't get the opportunity for whatever reasons. And uh, but yeah, he was he was always a great worker. Um, yeah. I have met I have met some that were downright pricks. Um, uh, oh yeah. The, the the real reason that I got involved in professional wrestling is because uh, I live in Central Illinois. And there was a company here in the year 2002 that had Road Warrior Hawk. And he was down at the local comic book store. And I was 12 at the time. My, my, uh, my parents had friends at the high rise, which is about a block away. They said, said, I'm going down to the comic book store. Okay, Sean, we'll know where you, we know where you're at if we need to come get you. So I walk down there and I meet Hawk. And I say, it's a pleasure to meet you. I wish I could see the show tonight. And without even hesitation, he pulls out two tickets. He says, you better be there tonight, kid. Never forgot Hell that moment nice in my life. I never got the opportunity. I've heard the same stories from other people. Um, I never got an opportunity to meet Hawk, but and and I've oh, told Road Warrior you, Animal and I've told uh, Paul Ellering this that the Road Warriors were a big reason that I got in the professional wrestling business in the first place. Uh, and I always regretted that I never got to meet. Road Warrior Hawk. Um, I've seen Joe a lot of times here recently at different conventions and, and meet and greets and stuff, and I'm glad I got the opportunity to meet him and Paul Ellering, but I never got the chance to meet uh, Road Warrior Hawk. But again, by all accounts, one of the nicest guys in the business, uh, very nice to the fans, and always a really cool guy to work with. I can personally vouch for that. Uh, I I I knew Mike for several years. Mike and Joe both uh, worked with him up here in Chicago. In fact, uh, I wound up uh, working what uh, was Mike's last match before he passed away. Um, And the conversations he and I used to have in the back were just, you know, something else. I mean, this was a guy, uh, he he loved his dad. He missed his dad tremendously. And that, and you know, I mean, y'all, you you sit there and you're looking at this, you know, huge muscled guy with you know this, you know, wild haircut and face paint, and he's sitting there, you know, with the most endearing comments about his about his dad. It, it was it was it was just something. And when I got the message that they he passed away, I mean. That was that was like it, it ripped my heart out. It ripped my heart out. You know. Yeah. But um, 
you know what? Let's let's get on to some a little more pleasant things than that because uh, you're talking about how uh, the uh, fight with uh, Paul Orndorff changed uh, the course of uh, Leon's career. Um, there was an event, and in fact, uh, it's appropriate that uh, last night they first announced that it's uh, going to be back on next week. That changed somebody else's career, and you were somewhat involved with that, and that is the uh, King of the Ring. And a uh, and a certain bald-headed guy with the goatee. <laughs> What happened to him that particular night? So let's talk about the story of Duke the Dumpster Drozzy and Stone Cold Steve Austin and King of the Ring. It was funny. We were actually riding together during that pay-per-view. We were probably in some piece of shit rental car, Ford Taurus. (laughs) But um, I just remember – out of the blue, Austin was told he was going to win King of the Ring. And he was kind of surprised because I guess it was supposed to be Triple H, but, well, he wasn't just Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the time. And he was involved in the curtain call, so he got, you know, they dumped the plans for letting him win King of the Ring, and they put it on Steve Austin. Um, And interestingly that, you know, I was just, I wasn't on the pay-per-view. I was just standing around kind of waiting for him and watching the show. And during the course of the show, he had a match with, well, I think his first match was with Mark Merrow, wild man, Mark Merrow. They had just brought him in and, and Austin went over on him. But during the match, oh, I think Merrow, Mark Merrow messed up a sunset flip or something where he kicked Austin right in the face and with the heel I think of his boot and split his lip wide open so during the pay-per-view it's still going on they take Austin to the to the uh, hospital to get stitched up during the show and they bring him back so he can finish the show and of course everybody knows how the rest of that show went he won and then he cut that promo on Jake the Snake Roberts where 316 was born Um, but the funny thing about that promo is at the time the fans really still didn't know who Stone Cold Steve Austin was. Um, and that was the first time they got to listen to him cut a promo uh, yep. like in his actual cool. real character with his real personality. And it got some good pops. The crowd got behind it, but that was the beginning but that night it didn't seem like such a huge deal, you know, because the crowds were still small then. It wasn't these huge sold-out crowds yet. It was still the lean years, and Austin was just kind of coming into his own and figuring out what he wanted to do and how he wanted to be. But I just remember after the show, when everything was done, you know, I had the car loaded up with a cooler with beer, and we rode on to the next town, whatever it was, and his lip was just destroyed. It had all these stitches or staples or whatever it had in it. and. Oof. All I could do for the rest of the trip was cut cut up and try to make him laugh because every time he he laughed, the stitches wanted to rip apart and it hurt him. So he, he I kept making him laugh and he kept having to hold his mouth because it hurt too much for him to laugh. Well, I was such an asshole, I just kept making him laugh as much as I could. But yeah, that's what I remember about King of the Ring. Um, it didn't seem like such a big deal, but it, it went on to become this amazing moment that everybody remembers now, but 
Yeah, that was uh, that was the beginning of Austin 316. Oh my gosh, that's wild. That's wild. So, oh my gosh. Okay, so we definitely, obviously, we got it. We got to talk. We got. I mean, we we've already talked about Yokozuna and his story. Now we talked about uh, um, you uh, cracking Austin up in the in the car after King of the Ring and that. Um, let's 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 talk about let's try and talk find some other notorious um types of uh types of guys like maybe uh who cut who cut the worst part on a on a road trip or in a hotel room. Stuff like that. Oh everybody. It was it, it, during those days they had uh Metarex meal replacement shakes. Oh, oh my yeah. God! You want to talk about the worst protein farts? Um, it, everybody at some point. I remember one time though. I was riding. It was when I first came in. It was early on. It was somewhere in '94, and and uh, I found myself on the road with the one two three kid X Pac. He was the one two three kid at the time, Sean Waltman, and mm-hmm. it was during Thanksgiving, and we were on the road for Thanksgiving. And this particular day, we decided to go to Denny's and have Thanksgiving dinner together. And I just remember, after all that, we got in the car, and again, Metarex shakes and everything else. I rolled up all the windows, locked the windows and doors as we're riding down the road, and I just cut the most horrendous fart, protein farts, in the car. And I just remember I was laughing so hard. I was trying not to, and my eyes were watering. I felt, and I was driving. I felt like I was going to wreck the car. And, and I looked to my right, and Sean Waltman's just spitting dip into a cup, not even selling it at all. He just turns. He just turns and looks at me, and he goes, "I don't sell farts, just to let you know." And he turned back, and we just kept. I was like so dejected. That he didn't sell it and uh, open the windows and let it out, but yeah, that was a fun story. But there's been a lot of those too. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about the best rib that you ever saw pulled. The best rib. Uh, there's, you got to qualify that. I've seen harmless ribs like Owen Hart calling your room in the middle of the night at the hotel acting like he was the person working for Domino's Pizza and trying to sell you a pizza in the middle of the night until you would get so <laughs> frustrated. And, and in those days, he brought on the road with him a telephone answering machine with a little cassette in it, and he would hook it up to his phone in his hotel room so he would record the whole conversation and play it for the boys in the locker room the next day. <laughs> that was always... Oh, oh God! And he did it with not just other wrestlers. He did it with other people staying in the hotel. He would just cold call people's rooms out of the blue and tape these long conversations where people were cussing at him, saying they didn't want any fucking pizza. And uh, so that was like a harmless rib. I've seen guys. As I was there for the incident where they shit in Sonny's food tray in Germany. I was there for that. Um, I've seen them cut guys sleeves off a guy's shirts and pant legs like they cut off one pant leg and one sleeve they did that to Barry Horowitz one time uh, uh, oh. I don't remember where that was oh my god um, 
And of course, I've seen guys get H-bombed. They would drop a Halcyon in their drink, a sleeping pill. Oh, my and God. Shave their Those eyebrows. Are not- and- those and are not shave their heads and shave their eyebrows, yeah. yeah. So I've seen the, you know, the good yeah. harmless ribs and then the bad ribs. I've seen them all. Yeah, one oh halcyon is okay. Two halcyon, you're on your ass. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, but Owen, oh, oh my gosh. I mean, I I heard I heard a few stories from some of the guys that you know knew and worked with Owen, but that. This this is even more than I'd ever heard before. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and he was always funny, and it was always harmless stuff. It wasn't stuff that would hurt you or, or hurt your career or, you know, he, he wasn't cutting people's hair or nothing like that. He, right. Stuff right. he did was harmless and always now, funny. Now, were you, now were you at, uh, at the Vatican when he uh, um, lifted uh, Rene Goulet's wallet? No, oh, no, I wasn't there for that. Oh God, that's a story Chris Chavis told me. Um, I'll get, I'll go ahead and I'll give you this one. I've told this one on the air before, but I love it. It is, it is so, it is so classic. There, you know, there, there was, it was during one of the European tours, and uh, they were at the Vatican, and they're uh, taking pictures, and so. Um, I guess so. I guess uh, Owen managed to uh, get behind Renee and lifted his lifted his wallet, walked off with oh it, and and all you know, and 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 Renee is reaching to go ahead and pay for something, and he's going, "Who took my wallet?" Who took my effing wallet? I mean, he's he's screaming and cussing right in the middle of the Vatican of all places. Oh my God! Sounds like something Who I stole do. my GD wallet? <laughs> oh my! And usually God. stuff like that happens, and we all know it, there's a very small group of the usual suspects: Owen, Davy Boy, one of those guys. You know, those are usually the culprits. But no, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yep. Yep, because I heard also too that uh, um, that uh, Owen even one time actually uh, phoned Brett and pretended to uh, and pretended to be Stu and was and was cussing him out on the phone. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I, be- I believe that. I know he called Stu at one point, acting like a another promoter, and he was cussing at Stu one time. I heard that one too, and uh, oh had God. Stu all riled up, wanting to kill somebody. <laughs> but yeah, those oh, are the kind of Lord. things that Owen did. Oh, oh man, that that that's some that's some great stuff. That I mean, you know. The, I mean, that's the kind of things that when you, you know, when you talk about Owen Hart, those are the, those are the stories that are the ones that get passed around, and I, I just, I think that is fantastic. And you know, Owen was uh, a quality. Owen was a quality individual, a quality mm-hmm. human being. I always like to say, and there wasn't many quality human beings in the wrestling business at that time. I don't know how it is now. 
But Owen would, he was a prankster and a jokester and all that funny stuff, but he was also a real good person that would go out of his way to help help other people in the business. Um, I remember one time me and Owen, we, we were doing a tour in the Philippines, and me and Owen were walking together a couple blocks away from the hotel to go to the gym, and in the course of our walking, there was these little, like, shanty towns of, little like built up you know cardboard and wood little shacks mm-hmm. built alongside of this disgusting like canal that was filled with like human waste and these families were living in these things and these little kids would walk up and ask us who we were and, and stuff like that because obviously they didn't watch WWF television but um, yeah. this one kid walked up and he had a huge sore up and down his arm like an infection and Owen just reached in his pocket basically gave him all the money in his pocket he just handed this kid to him and he said here you know just go take care of yourself buy something nice go get you an ice cream or something and you know he was just a very giving person like that he was a, a quality human being mm. Mm. Um, yes Owen was one of a kind truly missed and um, you know the the whole thing that happened with him was just tragic. Um, well, we have a friend of ours that uh, probably takes rank for one of the nastiest uh, ribs that has ever been pulled that has been told on this program, and that is uh, evidently there was a uh, guy by the name of Eric Freedom that used to do some uh, work with WWF and. Uh, he was working an independent show, and the guy with the ring truck pissed everybody off. So the boys' idea was to open this guy's truck up and smear dog shit all over the van and oh, not wow. tell the guy. So when he drove the ring back, he had to pull over every 20 miles to puke. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yep. <laughs> um, I... I would never want to be on the receiving end of something like that. I could only imagine uh, poor guy in the ring truck. Son of a bitch! Yeah, if you piss now? people off, yeah, if you piss <laughs> off the boys, you're, you're going to have hell to pay, and it's going to be a miserable existence on the road. <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> um, you know, Duke, you you have been around uh, for a long time. And didn't get the the tenure out of WWE that you would probably hope for, but in my mind, you're one of the WWE legends of the 1990s, and there aren't many of those left either. Um, as as we talked about earlier in the program, there's just not a lot of the um, 90s guys left. The 80s guys, some of the 80s guys are still taken, uh, but some of those 90s guys, man, some of them look horrible. You've gone to the conventions. Some of them look horrible. Uh, from all the years that, you know, um, be it steroid use or what what have you. But some of these guys are still in amazing shape. You go and look at them and you're like, Jesus, they haven't aged one bit. Yeah, I mean, at some point you got to start taking care of yourself. I mean, I fell into that trap as well, um, you know, during during a certain period of my life. Up until about 2005. 
15, there was a point there where I got really heavy and out of shape, and I was just unhealthy, and I just decided to make a change. And I started going to the gym, and I got in much better shape, and I take much better care of myself. And obviously, I don't do all the drugs and drinking alcohol anymore. Um, right. But, yeah, I've seen I've seen guys on both ends of the spectrum, like you said, at conventions and stuff. Like, Billy Gunn is in amazing shape. Yes. Um, Al mm-hmm. Snow is yeah. in amazing shape. These guys, yes. you know, at some point you got to step up and do something because if you don't, it's going to take years off your life if you continue right. to be unhealthy. And, you, you know, eventually your body is going to catch up with you if you continue to live that lifestyle. And uh, that, that's where guys die prematurely. I mean, if, if you're a professional wrestler and you've reached 50 years old, that's considered old age. You know, right. guys are dying in their 50s and oh. 60s. You know, and younger if they OD and do stuff like that. But, you know, 50s and 60s is considered an old man in wrestling years. That's yeah, cool. exactly. Because yeah. I, I am in that bracket. I am in that bracket. I'm, uh, I'm 62, so I'm definitely, you know, among, among that group, you know, a, an old guy. And that's scary to think about, you know. Seriously. Um, now, earlier this year, uh, or earlier last year, I forget which, because, you know, being a wrestler myself and getting hit with one too many chair shots, the days kind of blur together. <laughs> but yeah. um, you did uh, do an appearance down in Tennessee for um, Ox down at MSWA. Um, yeah. And uh, I got to see footage of that, and that was, Boy, it was great to see Duke the Dumpster Drosty again, and that's uh, I think that's when I saw you resurface, and I was like, my God. And I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but I didn't even know you were still alive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I did. I just I went off the grid for about 23 years. I disappeared completely. I was, I was angry and bitter and resentful and pissed off at the world and definitely pissed off at the wrestling business, so I went away. I disappeared, and... It was in uh, 2000 and what year was it? Uh, to finally, this promoter in Tennessee, uh, even before Ox's shows, this guy Scott Hansley got me to come do an appearance at a high school in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. And it was after that where I got on social media and people really started to respond. So I got more involved in doing the meet and greets and the conventions and I'm now, recently, I, I've started getting in the ring again uh, in a limited capacity um, right. because I had my left foot amputated in 2013, so I don't have a left foot, wow. and I'm still getting in the ring, and I'm wrestling and trying to stay in good shape and, and all those things, but uh, yeah, it's been fun, man, I, and you talk about legends in wrestling and stuff. I don't necessarily consider myself a legend, but if nothing else... um. I can always say I was nice to people in the wrestling business. I was always respectful and I always tried to be nice to the fans and, uh, you know, you know, just be respectful. I think that was always important to me. Um, so in that respect, I guess, you know, I do have that as a legacy in my short career, but yes, I always try to be nice to the fans and other people. If you could give, uh, a few words of advice to the people that are breaking into the wrestling business in 2019, what would it be? 
Uh, make sure you learn from a reputable teacher. Make sure you learn about more than just the wrestling. Learn about promos. Learn about the business. Learn about being in shape and taking care of your body for longevity. Don't be these. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have high spots and do high flying moves, but don't make that the majority of what you do because you'll be more prone to getting injured. You want to take care of your body and last as long as you can in the wrestling business. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that's, that's pretty much it. And have a thick skin. You know, if you can't handle a little bit of rejection, you're never going to make it in the wrestling business because that's one of the big killer things that killed me is, you know, Vince lied to me. He, said one thing was going to happen and then it didn't and I took it personally well he does that all the time he he tells you something he tells the wrestler that these are the plans and then things happen live television happens situations happen and plans change and they don't follow through exactly the way he said they would well if you can't handle that you can't be in the wrestling business and I was ill-equipped to handle that when I was there and that's why I left so soon and it's unfortunate, and I regret it. Um, I I don't hold Vince accountable for that. Vince is just – people ask me what kind of person Vince McMahon is or was. My answer is always the same. He is a shrewd businessman. He does what he has to do to improve his company. Um, and I know there's a lot of debate about that now in the, the way that the product is going and this, that, and the other, but um, – the reality is, is Vince has always bounced back. He's always changed. He's, he's always found ways to to uh, to change what he was doing with the times and be more successful, like with the Monday Night Wars and all those other times in history. And uh, I'm sure he'll come out of this, I guess, funk that they're in, that everybody seems to think they're in, um, although they're still making billions of dollars. But um, – you know, that's just the way Vince is, and that's the way the wrestling business is. And my advice is you better have a thick skin because it's a tough business. You know, it's a very tough business if you're not ready and not able to handle a little bit of rejection. Mm. Wow. Wow. And learn how to work on the fly. Holy shit. That's ab- Nobody does that anymore. Yeah. Nobody calls anything in the ring anymore. Oh, my God. That's a lost art. You know, being yeah. able to go out to the ring, not saying a word to each other, and just getting in the ring and having a match. People can't do that anymore. So, yeah. But that's kind of yeah. the nature back of the beast. It's all scripted day, out. Back in the day, you knew, you knew the finish, and that was it. The rest of it, you just, you know, you, call, you called it out there and that. Yeah, that doesn't uh, happen anymore. So, yeah, I think that's an yeah. important thing to be able to do. Exactly, exactly, you know. And I and I I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. That's so true. That that and then the other thing that at least to my standpoint, because this is how I was taught, and that is uh, speaking Kearney. Oh yeah, uh, nobody does that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you, you speak Kearney to somebody, they look at you like you're insane. They're like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. Or or they think yeah. or they think you're trying to be like a rapper. Like Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Yeah, because that's uh, where a lot of rappers stole that from uh, the carnies and the wrestling business as well. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because, I mean, yeah, I, like I say, I was, I was trained by old school 
old school guys, and so I was I was trained to speak Kearney, and I and I spoke Kearney in that ring, you know, except where I had to make sure the crowd heard me. Otherwise, otherwise it was Kearney straight out. So right, yeah, um, nobody does yeah. that anymore. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, have you got now? Have you got anything coming up that uh, you're going to be doing? Because uh, we definitely want to make sure that uh, we let you, you know, put over any appearances or anything else that uh, you know, people can connect with you here. And that um, I'm st- I'm still basically just taking bookings anywhere, conventions and stuff like that. Um, I just talked to a guy out of Oklahoma um, today. I haven't finalized it, but I basically do bookings. Through my social media, um, you can find out where I'm going to be on social media. I do a lot of stuff on Facebook, but I also do Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, I got uh, my private account is just Mike Drosty, where a lot of the stuff happens. Um, and then I have a Duke the Dumpster fan page under Duke the Dumpster right. Official. Uh, a lot of announcements come across there. Um, Instagram, Duke, Duke the Dumpster Official. And my Twitter is Real Duke Drosy. So that's where you can find out what I'm doing and where I'm going. Um, I think my next thing coming up is going to be in September, uh, sometime I think in Rocky Top, Tennessee, actually, uh, a show mm-hmm. and a convention. But um, yeah, a lot of the stuff I'm doing is on my social media. I put up posters and uh, and 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 the different advertisements for stuff on there. So. If, if anybody wants to find me, they can find me there, and that's also where I write my stories on Facebook. I write a lot of road stories and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, because it was the Austin story was how we finally managed to uh, get get you to come on. Which, you know, I I've been try I've been trying that for for a while, and thankfully you uh, responded and said, "Yeah, let's." You know, let's let's do this, and uh, definitely want to thank you for um, for doing that. Yeah, you know, I I mean, we really really appreciate it. And yep, there it is. I just uh, I just found your uh, Instagram, so uh, we're. I've got a Facebook. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you yeah, go back on my Facebook and you look way like back it. in the archives, starting in a, probably about October of 2018 is when I started writing stories. Man, you'll see some stories. Cool. I've reposted some of them, but a lot of them are still way back there. Um, so, yep. yeah, Excellent. when you get a chance, go back and look at those. Right, right. And so you, And so you've also got your – own little podcast I see here, uh, Talking Trash Podcast. So, Well, I had started uh, that. I was doing that with a group out of Georgia. I, I'm not working with them anymore right now, but I'm going to bring back the Talking Trash Podcast, and I'm going to do it on my own. Um, but, yeah, I was working with these guys, and we just they had some differences, and I ended up kind of walking away from it. And I'm going to be moving away from this middle Tennessee area anyway, but I will pick up that Talking Trash with Duke the Dumpster Drosy podcast very soon. So you can look out for that on YouTube awesome. very soon and on my Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, good. Our, my, my good friend Wendy says hello to you, Duke, and she's a big fan. But she wanted to ask oh, her hello, Wendy. opinion. Then why, of, why don't you let her come on and ask her own self? She's right okay, there. Okay, let's do that. 
Okay, I'm letting her on. Come on, Wendy, what do you got to say? Hello, Wendy. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Wendy. Are you there? Yes, Okay, sir. I got a question for you. Maybe you would okay. be okay with it. I don't know. Say you went to school with one of the people that are in the business now, and you dress like Hogan then, all in yellow, the red and everything, and you got to school, and the person that's in the business now basically looked at you and said, Hogan's a piece of trash. Uh, the that oh yeah I yeah I was like okay and she is now in the business like crazy. Oh yeah, and there's people like that. Re- unfortunately. Go ahead. When Kate. I see her in public, when she's in town or when she's in the same vicinity of me, I try and not to want to hit her. Although I would have well, bail yeah. money from the whole <laughs> company. <laughs> well, you definitely don't want to go around hitting people, but unfortunately there are people like that in the business and out of the business that have just sour attitudes and, and are just unhappy people for whatever reasons. And that and that's unfortunate. You should just keep your distance yeah. from that person. If if they say something that you don't like, then just stay away from them. Um you know, I've never personally met Hogan myself. Um, uh, I know that Hulk Hogan is in a lo- in large part responsible for everything in this business, even up to today. Gotcha. A lot of people don't like to agree with that. But Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania 1 is I believe you are right on that. Mm-hmm. There's a large reason I got into the wrestling business. WrestleMania 1 was the first time I actually – stood up and said I wanted to be a pro wrestler, and that was because of Hulk Hogan. So, you know, he's responsible for a lot of this, regardless of what people say about him and backstage politics and all that bullshit. You know, that's the wrestling business. Um, But without Hogan, I don't think the wrestling business would have been taken to the next level and become so popular with the American public. So uh, everybody's got to thank Hogan. If you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. When I was growing up, I loved Hogan in the music class. One of our assignments was to pick a song, write out the lyrics and all the notes to the lyrics. And the song me and my friend Jessica chose was Real American. And we got really? laughed at. I did not care. I didn't care. I was that big a fan. <laughs> well, that's all that matters. That's right. Uh, do we well, like to thank I know you- it. Go ahead. This one CD shop, they had three discs of Hogan's uh, little songs that he did. I bought all three of them. Good for you. Yeah, he's a musician, bass player, I believe. Yes, he is. (laughs) I'm a bass player myself, so, yeah, I always always follow up on on fellow bassists, and, yes, he is one of them. Duke, we want to thank you so much for tonight, uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to accommodate us. And, uh, man, you had that big picture of that big pizza. Man, that thing looks good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was on vacation last week, man. I ate a big old pizza in in Mississippi. Man, it was good. 
Oh. I mean, that pizza, that pizza is about as wide as I am tall. Okay, I'm five foot <laughs> Yeah, it was okay. good too. It was good five feet across. <laughs> Oh my God, it was good pizza. It would have killed me. It would have <laughs> killed me. All the meds in the world wouldn't have helped. <laughs> I'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, I so plan on going back to Mississippi really soon and eating that entire pizza at once. And I'm going to tape it for my for my Facebook and uh, Instagram pages. I'm going to put it. I'm going to post the video of me eating that entire pizza on my social media very soon. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. I love it. I love it. That's, uh, that is so good. So, Wendy is actually yeah. a good friend of mine. She's been in the business herself for quite a while. She works security for me when I run events here in Illinois. And uh, awesome. she is, uh, she's been a big help to me. And she's had to carry my sorry out to the back on more than one occasion after I've gotten knocked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's good looking that out, says. Wendy. Good you looking out. Says, you know what that says? You know what that says to me about you, Sean? You're a pussy. That's what that says to me. <laughs> hey, that's what happened. Wow. She just freaking turned heel on you, brother. Holy shit. <laughs> Who, ever yeah. Who ever said it Noise. Noise. Nice. Let me tell you something. Yes. When you get an almost 80-year-old man with a boxing glove that swings at you at full force because he doesn't know what a work punch is, you'd go down too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're doing a job there. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Because that's what's going. You're selling whether you want to or not. <laughs> Pretty much. And and Steve, you know who that punch was from? Mr. Skip. Oh yeah. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. Ow. He uh, he he doesn't he he forgets it's a work sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so. Believe me, I know he forgets it's a work sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah, you got to love those kind of people though, because I tell you what. Uh, a real quick story, and then we're going to close up here. I worked a show over in Iowa with this uh, Mr. Skip guy. Good old, good guy. They hired him as the commissioner. He had a lot of energy and stuff. Uh, guy had to be 80. If he wasn't 80, okay. he looked like the old man on one of those old cartoons. Um, oh, my. Bald head, glasses, kind of looked like an Elmer Fudd. Um, so uh, we're working a show over in Iowa, and I'm working to heal. And I come out and I get on the stick and I'm like, oh man, I have had it up to here with your shit. And I get to the back and his brother came to the show. His brother oh walks into the back. Nobody stops his brother. Nobody, nobody even saw him come to the back. His brother finds me whack right across the face as hard as he can. Oh, and I thought the locker room uh, was going to kill him. <laughs> Everybody's like, are you yeah, okay? He yeah, I'm okay. Don't kill the other old man. Not up in okay. business. <laughs> as you hold your as you hold your jaw you say it's a work brother it's a yeah. work <laughs> yep. lighten yeah. up it's yep. not work not yep. <laughs> exactly exactly alright uh, well I want to thank Duke the Dumpster Drosy for tonight I want to thank my oh, good yes. friend Wendy I want to thank my co-host Steve and Katie I want to thank our thank friend you, Billy and all of our other listeners uh, Duke, we're going to have to definitely do this again sometime uh, oh, very yeah. soon. Oh, and yeah, uh, right. I, can, I enjoy continuing to read all the fun stories that you post on your Facebook because some of them, my friend, are downright hilarious. Oh, well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me on the show, too, man. Thank you very much. Oh, hey, I appreciate our you. pleasure, man. Thanks, Thanks so in. much. 
Thanks for coming out, honey. All right, we'll see you. You got it. You got it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was Duke the Dumpster Drosty, and tomorrow night we will be live with Wrestling Authority Media. All right, and that was our interview with uh, Duke the Dumpster Drosy from my other show, um, TNT, which airs Tuesday nights live at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern on uh, Evolution Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hope you enjoyed that. Now, um, a uh, brief announcement uh, concerning the next broadcast of uh, Live from the Dean's Den. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, real life uh, does tend to get in the way of this uh, crazy life we call the wrestling business, and that's the position that I'm in. Uh, My wife is going to be having surgery on uh, August 30th, so I'm going to be taking the next couple of weeks off from all of my shows so that uh, we can be uh, ready for her surgery and for at least giving her a uh, week to recover from it. Uh, I hope that uh, you'll uh, extend your uh, good thoughts to us at this time and we do uh, plan on uh, being back like I say in uh, two weeks but in the meantime uh, listen to our past programs Uh, hopefully you are enjoying them if you are drop me a line or uh, leave me a voice message here Um, the email address is the Dean's Den at protonmail.com that's the Dean's Den at protonmail.com and also if you wish to uh, help defray the cost of the broadcasts uh, yes there are costs incurred with this broadcast, uh, most notably, of course, electricity and uh, internet access. So it would be helpful if uh, you wanted to uh, give a little something to help defray the cost of those bills. But until uh, two weeks from now, I am your host, the Dean of Wrestling Referees. Thank you for listening to Live from the Dean's Den. Have a great week. <laughs>